welcome to my podcast. If you've noticed, it's had a recent little change in the name, but it's still really similar to what it was. Um, I've had a lot of feedback and even just me energetically, this whole leaving religion and then those we leave behind. Oftentimes we don't leave behind anyone. And so I wanted to take that out of the title. So now you'll notice that it is leaving religion a guide. And really this podcast is... It, my main motivation for doing this this podcast is to assist those that are leaving religion to really coming back to themselves, what that looks like, how to find your spiritual center. And in that, I get to have beautiful conversations with individuals who've navigated it and who've had some really significant experiences in their life to coming back to themselves and how they did it. So my next guest is, no, this conversation, you guys, was so fun. It's a little longer. Truthfully, we could have gone hours long in our, in, in our conversation, and maybe I'll have him on again. But this is a really beautiful conversation, diving into relationships and abuse and, oh my goodness, all sorts of things and deconstruction of systems and whatnot. So I'm excited to dive into this conversation. But first, if you haven't picked up my book, please go over to Amazon and grab it. This book, you guys, it's a simple read. It's a really short book, but it is a powerful book. And it has tools in there to guide you back to yourself, to remove and to help to deconstruct those places that are still active within your psyche and within the subconscious mind. So if you head over to Amazon, the book title, if you search um, Leaving Religion and Those We Leave Behind, you will find it. And it looks like Amazon is actually, it's been doing so well that Amazon is discounting the Kindle version right now. And it may discount the paperback version. I'm not sure. But either way, it's really inexpensive. It's $13.33. And And then on my website, amandajoyloveland.com forward slash Leaving Religion Tools, I was guided to do a four-part series of guided meditations meditations to go even deeper with deconstructing religion within your energetic system. And those are very, very powerful. So you can head over there and grab those. And then last but not least, but I have a group mentorship that is starting July 6th that I have a few more spots available. And this is a six-week course. And as I've stated before, for those that are wanting to dive into this program, message me. I will send you more information. And because you are one of my listeners, I will send you a signed autographed book, um, my Leaving Religion book, I will send to you for free. And that book is for those that are people that are going through transitions. We get to assist each other and help each other. And this course will be, you know, will, there'll be a lot of amazingness to it. So if you're feeling a yes, message me on my social media sites or email me. I'll put my email down below. But let's now dive into the more fun part of this podcast in my interview with Chip Hopper. Well, hello, hello. <laughs> well, hello. <laughs> We've been sitting here for, oh, 42 minutes now, just chatting away. We just recorded a podcast without recording a podcast. <laughs> We've had this amazing conversation and I'm really grateful. I'm sitting here with Chip Hopper. Did I say your last name right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. We have known, we know each other, but don't know each other. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I think it's so fun to have this conversation of, oh, wow, we have the same, we think alike. Yeah. Yeah. I've been very close friends with your brothers for many, many years. Yeah. We we were in the MBA program together. You were? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think I knew that. Oh man. So it is it is it's so fun when our pat when paths cross and it's like, oh wow. How many years later? Twenty, thirty years later. How long has it been since exact to our days? It it's been a long time. Yeah, it was uh 
2005, I think. Wow. So when, when your dad was still here and he was still alive. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. In fact, he, he passed, um, right as I was coming on board. Oh, and really? so they delayed it uh, uh, because of that. And, and so, hmm. so that's when I joined Exactware. Was when he, around the time he passed. Yeah, so you didn't yeah. ever really get a chance to know him. He was an amazing man. Yeah, I only met him a few times, but uh, yeah, he was amazing. Yeah, he had quite, quite the And I can see it in all his kids. So. <laughs> yeah, we do have a lot of him in us. And anyway, that's a whole other conversation. But it's so fun to cross paths again. And as we've been chatting and kind of, I guess, laughing a little bit about the conversation that we're naturally having that we're going to discuss here, it's not a whole lot rooted in religion, although you were Mormon. Yeah. Were you born and raised Mormon? I was born and raised Mormon. Um, I was born in Utah, uh, northern Utah, in Ogden. And and the funny story, I was actually uh, in a beauty pageant when I was young. I you was were the, not. I was the junior prince of sunset. So I, I won <laughs> I won, uh, I, I won a beauty pageant. So now when I you work did. with people in the pageant world, I'm like, oh, yeah, I've been in the pageant world. How old were you? <laughs> I was like one, one and a half. Oh, my gosh. So That's so awesome. I had this really large head. And uh, I guess that was apparently really <laughs> adorable. <laughs> That is hilarious. I love it. But uh, yeah, born and raised uh, in the Mormon church, um, went on an LDS mission to New York. Uh, while on that mission, I read just about every religious text for every religion that you mm. can imagine. Um, and it really, that started my journey of um, you know, personal development and yeah. understanding the mind and how we think. Um, my dad was a was a doctor. He was a chiropractor. And when he was in medical school, we lived in Chicago and, uh, he would take me to the cadaver labs when he was mm -hmm. dissecting bodies and hmm. put me up on the table when I was five years old. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, people look at it and they're like, wow, that's disgusting. But for me, it was like, it was amazing to learn the muscles of the body. Yeah. And, and I fell in love with the body. And then as a teenager and, and I fell in love with the mind and mm -hmm. I've just always loved that mm -hmm. development side. Oh, that's super cool. So you, did you stay Mormon for a while? I did. I uh, was married in the temple. I was married for over 20 years. Mm -hmm. I think uh, we were together 25 and um, married almost 22 of those. Um, and because we had made that commitment and, and that agreement to to be married in the church, I kept that and kept in the, in the faith for um, until after our divorce. Yeah. And then what happened for you to decide that this wasn't for you anymore? Well, I um, <clears throat> I read a book a week for over 20 years now. And, and, you know, about 10 years ago, I really started to, my, my mind started to transition my thinking of religion and religious constructs and things. And uh, I really don't think that I was fully in on the religion for... Mm -hmm you know, at least a decade. Um, but again, it was something that, um, you know, was a beautiful thing, right? And, or there's a lot of beautiful elements to it. And um, I opened up to only a few people about how I was feeling about it. And one of them was my wife at the time. And she would say, how can you continue to have these state callings or go to the temple or any of these things if you don't know it's true. Mm. And I would always say, well, I'm a 32. <laughs> Faith is a hope for things not seen, right? <laughs> and I would be like, it would be lovely if if we could have our family for eternity and if yeah. this was just a piece of our experience. And, um, you know, so 
So it wasn't, it wasn't like I was betraying myself, but it was challenging because for me, I've always been one to question everything and to really use the scientific method and, and to look at things and say, is this true? Is mm-hmm. it really true? Uh, and, you know, one of my favorite things about the scientific method is when you put out a hypothesis, your job isn't to prove that it's true. Your job is to try and prove that it's wrong. Right. <laughs> and, and it only holds up until someone can prove that it's wrong. That is what science is. <laughs> That's what science <laughs> is, right? And so I, I've always loved that approach and uh, to look at myself and to be able to peel back the onions of myself and say, okay, now that I have new information, what does it mean about this? Mm-hmm. And uh, it can be an exhausting work, right? We often get into that space of just flowing with the beliefs that we have, because yeah. every time you have to question a belief, it takes decision-making processing, mm-hmm. which is, which, you know, we only have a certain amount of decision-making processing every day. And that's, that's why people like Mark Zuckerberg wear the same outfit every day. It's why Obama had all of his meals and his suits and everything planned for him is so that yeah. he could focus his decision-making on what was necessary in the role that they were in. Um, but, uh, but when the when the relationship ended, I was able to really look at it and go, okay, now that I don't have the constraints of saying I've agreed to be in this, uh, what's really true for me? Mm-hmm. And um, the structure of religion just doesn't resonate with me mm-hmm. uh, in that way. Yeah. So did you wait until after your divorce before you left religion or did you leave? Yeah. Yeah. So, well... Kind of. I mean, when when uh, when things ended kind of dramatically with all of my stuff in the in the yard, um, you know, that was about a year and a half before the divorce was final, mm. and uh, you know, I did stop doing a lot with the with the organization, but I still had uh, you know, I had state callings. I actually had. Uh, two state callings clear through 2019, I believe, mm, wow. um, you know, and uh, I was the stake auditor. And so I was responsible for, you know, monitoring all the finances mm. of the stake and uh, the stake athletic director. And, and so I was very heavily involved uh, with the youth, uh, always loved coaching, mm. always loved working with youth. Um, been a football coach and a basketball coach and a soccer coach and you know, you, know, you name it. So, um, so I, I wasn't really actively participating, but I also wasn't just fully stepping away. Yeah. Well, and we're gonna, as you were sharing a few things, I, I asked you if you'd be open to talking about it on our podcast because it's been really, I don't believe in coincidences. And I just shared a, a post this morning about some things that have been in my arena as far as things that we experience. And you were sharing some aspects that you've experienced as a male in your relationship that it does not get spoken to very much at all. And so I would love to talk a little bit more. You know, one of the things that I thought was fascinating, and it's something that's actually paralleling in my life right now, um, and I'll share a little bit about that here in a minute, but I'm like, I'm trying to figure, I'm trying to fill into how to open this up. In my, ex- personally, I'm going through an interesting shift in my relationship. 
my husband and I, who he'll be on my podcast one of these days and we will openly talk about this. Um, because I, I believe that as we share the places that we're going through in our lives and you help people write books and I've written books, it, it allows for our healing to be open and to be talked about instead of being quiet and slowly dying inside thinking we're alone in our, in our pain. And the more I feel like we're open and vulnerable to the things that we've experienced, it, it opens up that conversation. It opens up the possibility to new ideas and new thoughts that we can maybe move through our experience a little bit differently. And in my relationship, when my husband and I got together seven years ago, there was a lot, he had hid a lot of who he had been for fear that I wouldn't choose to stay with him. And, um, he, when this came out and it was because the universe was conspiring, it's like, oh, you don't get to hide. And the amount of people that came out of the woodwork to kind of, to open up this, these things that had happened was quite fascinating. And I chose to stay with him and I, and we had very open conversations about it, but because that had happened, then the rest of our relationship, he went forward with, I need to prove that I, you can trust me. I need, I need to prove myself to you. And my needs were more valuable than his. And now fast forward seven years later, we had some things that recently happened. And a lot of it was because he had lost himself in a relationship trying to always please me. Now it wasn't something I ever asked for. I'm also a strong dynamic woman. And so it's easy for me to over to consume a little bit more in a relationship. And you had shared some things that I feel like there's not, there's no, again, there's no coincidences. So I don't know exactly where you would like to start with this, but if you're open to it, do you I'm mind? an, I'm an open book. <laughs> You, yeah, talking about your previous marriage. How old were you guys when you got married? Uh, I was 23 or 24. We got married in July. My birthday's in August, so oh. I can't remember. Somewhere which, around which, there. Which it was. I, yeah. I think that I was 23 turning 24. Yeah. How healthy was your relationship in the beginning? Um, you know, I think it struggled from the very beginning. Uh, you know, I came, as I said, I was a LDS and I came home from a mission uh, with the belief that the next step was marriage. Right. Yeah. And most missionaries have that. That's yeah. what they're taught. Aren't yeah. You? Yeah. You're taught yeah. that, you know, it's, it's these steps, right? You, you grow up, you go on a mission, you come home, you get married, you go to school and you buy a house. It's tied yeah. with the American dream and you have right. kids and you raise them in the religion and you have as many as you can. And uh -huh. I was the oldest of eight <laughs> growing mm -hmm. up. And, and so came from a very large family, but, um, I met, um, this amazing woman and, you know, the very first time I met her, uh, we were, we had me and my friend as return missionaries had crashed his younger brother's birthday party mm -hmm. who was getting ready to go on a mission. And I met her at that time and we were all playing volleyball and one of the players got injured and she immediately went into mob mode and went mm -hmm. out and packed some snow and put it on his ankle and raised it up. And I'm like, wow, this is like a motherly figure and she's hot. <laughs> Um, so, you know, we had, uh, there were beautiful parts of our relationship from the very start and, and I don't want to diminish any of the beauty that we had even through our whole relationship, but there were also challenges and difficulties. Uh, you know, many of those tied around, um, jealousy and, and other things on both sides and the difficulties in, in those spaces. And, um, you know, for me, a lot of jealousy comes from, uh, lack of self-worth 
mm-hmm. right? And, and not feeling worthy of, of yourself. And so when you see praise given to others, um, it, it's hard to see and feel. Well, do you also feel like, for me, I feel like this conversation you and I are about to have is somewhat deconstructing the traditional relationships yeah. that we have been um, taught and programmed that this is what it should be. And it, within religion... There are a lot of rules within the relationship and a lot of things that you do and you don't do in a relationship. You don't go to lunch with someone of the, I remember having relief study conversations, make make sure that you're not going to lunch, even if it's a business lunch with somebody of the opposite sex, just alone. Like that's too, it's too tempting. You know, the, the Satan's going to tempt you to do something more or make sure you satisfy your husband before he goes on a business trip because he may be tempted. Like all these things, this whole idea that there's someone out there pulling the strings, trying to to destroy everything. Fear based. Yep, yep. It is fear based, and uh, we have we have so many social norms that we come to accept as the norms. And right. I love this discussion. I could talk about this you on, on anything, right? It's it's not just religion, but everything everything that we believe, from the way we look at education to the way we yeah. look at relationships to the way we do anything. And uh, one of my one of my favorite conversations actually is talking about things like Hitler mm-hmm. and would you follow Hitler and for me, the people that are the most adamant saying that they would never follow a man like Hitler because it's morally and socially wrong are the ones that I think would most likely fall into a scenario where they believe because they're in that environment. Right. Uh, it's when you can challenge the environment that you're currently in and say, what about my current environment is, mm-hmm. be, am I just accepting mm-hmm. because of what has become that way? And, and marriage is one of those things where, most of us step into marriage without a contract, without any discussion of what it looks like and what the rules are because of two things. One is we have this preconceived notion of what marriage is and what it means. Mm -hmm. And the second is because as soon as you say, let's talk about it from a kind of a contract and business perspective, everybody's like, Oh, that's not love. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, all of a sudden you're not speaking in terms of what everybody's like, Oh wait, love means that we just, it all works and it's all easy. And, and, uh, just so not true. So not true. Right. And we all know. Yeah. And, uh, but from that young perspective, you have no idea what you're about to walk into because right, we don't talk about the, the consciousness that goes around relationships. Yep. So, and, you know, when you, when you talk about showing up in a relationship, um, you know, in relationships that end and, uh, and why they ended, you know, they're, we are creating our own experiences and obviously there are things that happen that we can't control. Um, but how we respond to them is completely in our control. And I can look back at every relationship I've had and, and see the things that I could have worked on and could have improved. And, uh, you know, my, my recent partner, uh, Brooke and I both work in this space. And uh, one of my favorite things to say is like, we're only here because every previous relationship failed. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so it's, it's a constant learning and, and evolution. And the more you can step into that, I think the, the more you can find and, and come back to who you really are. Yeah. And you had mentioned, you know, as I was kind of sharing some things with my current relationship, you had mentioned that in your partnership, a lot of the things you put your partner above you for quite a while, Mm -hmm. your kids needs above yours. Do you mind speaking to that a little? Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I've always been a giver. 
And I don't know if you've seen Toy Story, but the the dinosaur in Toy Story was was very much my personality. Mm. I don't like confrontation. (laughs) (laughs) And so I would look at people's needs and I would um, try and meet them in their needs. And often I would use humor to de-escalate tension and and things like that. Uh, But when you start to give yourself in that way, it's easy to get lost in it because the minute you see something not flowing smoothly and there's contention or possible disruption, uh, you try and step into that space to smooth it over, which mm-hmm. often means that you're taking away your um, the things that you want and, and doing it for other people. And that was one of the things that, that uh, it's easy to, to look back now and see, but it was one of those things that I didn't really even recognize through most of my relationship. And the other was um, the true spirit of giving, mm-hmm. right? Often, often we talk about giving and we talk about being giving, but it's very rare that you find giving that doesn't have some level of expectation. Yeah. And I believed that I was a giver that didn't have expectations, but I can look back now and say, well, yeah, my expectation was I wanted people to at least recognize that I was being a giver. Yeah. <laughs> like, just a thank you me. was plenty. Just see yeah. that I'm giving, right? Yeah. Uh, but even that, just being seen as a giver is, you know, somewhat of an expectation. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, that, that, that created a space where I really lost myself in that um, and had to figure out who I was after I came out of that relationship. Yeah. Well, I think the male perspective is really fascinating. And I did a podcast episode a few ago where it's not just men, but because we're talking about this, a lot of men are going through the motions. So do women, but especially with where, you know, you go on a mission, especially within, well, let's talk with Mormonism Mm -hmm. mission. Here's the rungs of the ladder that you need to climb just in your life, mission, work, money, you know, wife, kids, continue to provide and you know, where, where are you in all of that? And, um, not to mention, you know, as you're sharing some of these things, as far as being a giver, what you shared with me before was because you were such a giver, it was so taken and then abused and you had some abuse that happened in your relationship yeah. and not very many men talk about this because it's usually, and like you shared earlier with our conversation before the episode that in our court systems, even in that court system, it, it's people have a hard time really seeing that actually women can be the abuser where they can be physically and emotionally violent. And um, I feel like this is something that if you're open to it, it gets to have a voice today. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm open to it. I, um, I want to preface it by saying that, you know, I, I think that there are things that we can all do to improve. Um, there are things that, that happened in, in my marriage and in many things in life that, uh, you know, aren't, aren't necessarily things that I want to, um, bring up as negative things or point out to people. Uh, we've all done things that we, that we wish we hadn't, uh, you know, for me, I've always been one that, um, has tried to not air dirty laundry right? because, uh, it's 
when we are able to to work through our dirty laundry, um, other people don't see that, mm-hmm. and they still, you know, focus on the on the dirty laundry that was aired to them. And um, so, so there's there's some element of it that it's like what to talk about and what not to. Uh, but I do feel it's important to talk about these things so that people that are going through them can can see outside of them. Uh, because when you're in this space, it's very hard to to see it. And uh, in my marriage, I spend a lot of my time doing what I would call now damage control mm-hmm. of you know things that would happen that I wouldn't want my partner to look bad. And so I would frame it differently and I would you know, try and make her shine in the, in the best light possible. Uh, so much so that even going through our divorce, I have uh, a couple of siblings that shifted away from having a relationship with me Mm -hmm. uh, because of, because of the divorce. And one of them said an interesting thing to me once. And he said, he said, Chip, if yours was the true story, he's like the person that has the truth is the one that is sharing their story. Interesting. And I said, no, for me, the one who wants their story to be heard is the one that's sharing their story. Mm -hmm. And just because I'm not talking against the story that is now being given, um, doesn't mean that, that my story isn't, you know, accurate. And, you know, clearly we all live in our own reality and the only way we can see life is through our own lens. Um, but there are, there are absolutely abusive things that happened, uh, in my relationship in that marriage. And, uh, there are things that I often covered up and didn't share. And, uh, unfortunately that went against me when uh, she decided she wanted to be done and she shifted those beliefs to be things that I had done. Mm-hmm. Um, so much so that, um, you know, I have, I have kids that have repressed memories of things that didn't happen that mm-hmm. were, uh, very abusive and very slanted the other direction. Um, you know, I had, I had times where, and especially, especially as my partner was significantly smaller than me, um, you know, even, even in court, you know, that there, there was no, uh, ability to look at the conversation and go, well, okay, how'd that happen? Right. right. Um, when I, <clears throat> I had times where, um, and this is this is hard to share here because I, I don't want to create a negative a negative view of my partner or of anyone else. But you know, I think it's important to have these things and to have these conversations. And um, you know, there were times where uh, my partner would run and throw herself against me and then sprawl onto the floor as if I had attacked her. Hmm. Right. And there were times where she would jump on me and then pull me down on top of her. And for me, when those things were happening and as she would do them in front of our kids, my thought would be, my kids can see what's happening. This is like, so obviously, you know, manipulative and controlling and abusive. And, but, but because I didn't speak up and because I didn't say, Hey, wait, this isn't, this isn't good. This isn't, Mm -hmm. and I would cover it up and I would, um, 
be alien. I was systematically alienated from all of my friends, from my family. Uh, when the divorce happened, um, you know, I allowed myself to be kicked out of my own home that I was paying for. Uh, I allowed myself to lose all the relationships that I, that I even had at that point. Um, and to be really vilified as, as this, as this awful person. And, um, because I was ashamed, I had guilt. I didn't feel worthy. Um, I mean, in, in 2017, uh, there were a number of times that I was contemplating how to take my life. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think, (laughs) I think there's this part of me that just, um, wants to live forever. (laughs) Yeah. But there's also this part of me that doesn't want to be remembered as a failure, if you will. And so I, I would try and come up with these ways where I could die, but not really die Mm. so that my life insurance money could go to my ex and to my kids, uh, because that's where I measured my value was my financial worth. Uh, and that had been beaten into me throughout my marriage that my worth came from, from my financial Mm-hmm. Um, and this, this actually ties back to Exactware. I, uh, I left Exactware in, uh, 2016 mm-hmm. and, uh, spent the rest of the year building a business and, uh, really wanting to move in this direction of more into the personal development space full time. And, and my ex would be very frustrated by it. And I hadn't realized until then how much she relied on the steadiness of the paycheck and the, and the financial elements of it. And, um, I wasn't, when she would pull away, I wasn't there for her emotionally. And, you know, I did a lot of things that looking back, I I was like, wow, you know, and, and in working with, with Brooke, um, uh, after my divorce, uh, you know, I learned a lot of things where I'm like, wow, if I had known this and how to mm-hmm. respond here, I'd probably still be in that relationship. Although I wouldn't, <laughs> I'm glad I'm not because right. there's such better, better things out there. And and the approach of this or something better is, is always a huge one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like I'm just talking and talking, but uh, I was going <laughs> to. No, this is perfect. And I know that this is an uncomfortable and I, I appreciate that you and I understand why you're prefacing this with, I'm going to say it's my first book that I published was about my relationships. And mm-hmm. the first time I published it was under a pseudonym because there is this really fine line between I feel called to share my story so that it may help others. And with the belief that I have, the belief that you have, we choose into these situations. So while we may have been a victim to some of the things that we've had happen in our lives, we don't operate from that victim mentality. And a lot of people, when they tell their stories, it's vindictive in in nature. You know, it sounds like with your ex-wife, whatever, she was how she was flipping the script because she was the abuser. Of course, she's going to flip the script. And of course, you allowed her to do that because of the dynamic that was created in the relationship. And, um, and a lot of times the mental, right? The mental pieces that start happening, especially with the tie and the bonds that start happening in that relationship underneath those circumstances. And as a man, like, you know, I know it's, it's hard for men to, to come out and communicate clearly or 
to whoever's listening right now that, yeah, I was in an abusive relationship where it was physically and emotionally abusive with my partner and I allowed it to happen. Yeah. I think there is a, an aspect of the, of the masculine ego that steps in of, of admitting that must be a little challenging. And yeah, I applaud it. I celebrate it. And I am like, thank God somebody's talking about this. Yeah. And, and for me, like, uh, and we talked a little bit about this before, you know, I, I have no problem sharing how I feel and, and what happened from that perspective. Uh, the, the challenge for me is that, uh, I still do love this person and yeah. I, and I fully accept that. Um, and you mentioned the word dynamic in a relationship and the dynamic in a relationship is, is often something different in each relationship right you can there's a lot that we'll do that we recreate in relationships things that we haven't fixed before uh but in this case like i believe she's in a in a much better relationship now uh i've been in a much better relationship as well and the things that i was doing in that relationship um you know as as things were falling apart there were a number of recordings that that happened and i actually uh went through and listened to a few of them mm. um, before coming here. Oh, so really? like a couple of days ago and in listening to those, absolutely. Um, there were a lot of things that were being done to me that were just really awful, but, but my responses weren't, weren't great either, either, even in just the being present and listening. Uh, and I know that she didn't feel heard. She didn't feel seen. I didn't feel heard. I didn't feel seen. And, and those pieces are, such powerful pieces in a relationship when you don't yeah. feel hurt or seen things can spiral into, into places they, they weren't before. And, you know, most of our relationship, I wouldn't consider most of our relationship as abusive. Um, it was a shift in the, in the status quo that really hmm. changed that. Right. And like 2016, for example, is a fantastic example of that. I, I left Exactware in April of 2016. And uh, as I was building my business, I went many, many months where there was no income at all. Mm -hmm. um, but towards the end of the year, I worked for two and a half months and made more in that two and a half months than mm -hmm. I had made any year previously. Mm -hmm. And so we ended 2016 with me having made significantly more than any year previously. Yeah. But in my in my wife's mind at the time, it was still, I wasn't contributing. I wasn't mm. working most of the time. And, and she began to preach that to the kids that I wasn't mm. contributing. I wasn't, what I was doing wasn't working. Um, and, and so, you know, there are all these pieces that go into it of were her needs being met or my needs being met. Um, so again, for me, the, hesitancy in talking about it is more because I care about these people and, um, you know, I don't want to approach her as a villain or me as a victim. Uh, in fact, I believe strongly that most of the ways that we act out mm -hmm. are because of things that happened to us in our past that we carry with us. Um, you know, there were a lot of signs from her about things that, um, happened to her before our relationship that I wasn't like, <laughs> I, I grew up and at least the parts that I remember, right. It was a great childhood. Right. You know, I didn't, 
I was la la la, you know, I was, I was winning pageants <laughs> when you were little. <laughs> right. You know, I, I mean, in, in high school, I was one of the, you know, little good, goody two shoes kids in my junior year of, of high school. And, um, you know, I, I remember, uh, between my junior and senior year, I made it onto the cheerleading squad, which at my high school was, was a really big deal. Like the, the male cheerleaders were like cooler than the football players. Oh, really? And it was, Super cool. we had a squad of like seven guys and 14 girls and we'd travel for, for different events and things and, and competitions. And, and I was kind of like the, the odd man out a little bit because uh-huh. uh, we got in there and even though they were all LDS, I was the only virgin. I was the only one that didn't drink and didn't do parties. And, uh, but I was really opened up to this, um, new world. And I would walk down the same hallways in school mm. and I'd be like, well, I know that they're being, you know, having sex or they're doing drugs. And I knew all these things that walking down the hall the year before no, I had yeah. no clue. Right. And that was similar with, uh, with the relationship. It wasn't until, uh, I moved into a new relationship uh, with Brooke, uh, who does work with trauma and, and, you know, went through a lot of trauma herself as a, as a child. Mm-hmm. Um, and she would say, you know, she would open up to me about some of those experiences that I was sharing with my, with my ex. And she's like, mm-hmm. you know, and I was like, wow, I just didn't see. How would you have? I, I didn't yeah. see that because that would, didn't even resonate with me. And, um, you know, so it's, it's one of those things where it's like life is continually, like the more you open up to seeing it, mm-hmm. it differently and, and, uh, allowing yourself to see things and, and open up to things, uh, the world just continues to shift. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's why, like, when we talk about religion, um, I don't have anything against religion. Uh, for me, I've, I feel like I moved to a different space in my life. Um, but one of the books that I, like, I, I love writing, right. And one of the books I've been working on for many years is this concept. And I don't know, maybe I should give away, I'll, I'll give away the concept here. <laughs> like, do I want to? It's, it's a, it's a sixth sense type of thing. But, but the whole premise of it is, is that if I were to take myself now at 48 and I would put myself with myself at, and now 48, maybe there's enough of a gap now, but if I had taken myself at 35 and at 45, those two yeah. human beings would have both felt very secure in who they were and the way they perceived the world so much so that both of them would look at the other one and say, wow, I wish you had some of the insight and information that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, my 35 year old self, I was married fully LDS four kids, great job. Um, you know, my 45 year old self, I'm divorced. I don't really have, I'm not really in religion. Okay. I'm not in religion. Um, <laughs> but unless, unless it's like the religion of science or AI or whatever, I don't know, but <laughs> there's a, there's a, but every, we all live in religions right. in, in a way, but, um, but, you know, to see, to see this person who is, uh, you know, just such different people, but both of us, um, seeing life from our, our own lens. Yeah. And so the, the concept of the book is that there are these two uh, individuals that are uh, opposed to each other throughout the book. And it's only as it gets to the end that they realize that they're actually the same person, same person. just separated, uh, you know, brought into the same time. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've, I've always had a fascination with writing books that 
make you switch your thinking. Yeah. Uh, like the idea, you know, we talked a little bit about Hitler early on, but starting a book where, uh, and, and I'm going to remove Hitler as the example, but let's say we'll just start a book with somebody who, uh, as you get to know them, you start to believe what, what they believe and how they're aligned and you see how they're trying to be good. But then you switch to the other person's point of view. And by the end of the book, you're like realizing that, wow, the, the, the one that would, would normally not be considered good is the one that I had first right, I like. fell in, in yeah. line with and, and liking what they were talking about. Uh, and I, I love trying to make people think that way. Um, that's one of the reasons I love writing. I believe that uh, empathy is a skill that can be grown. Mm -hmm. I didn't used to believe that. I used to have a fixed mindset on mm -hmm. empathy. But I believe empathy can be, can be grown now. And uh, the best way to grow empathy is one-on-one -on -one conversation, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and, you know, travel is a huge way to grow empathy. But then, to me, reading is a huge path to empathy. Yeah. When you can sit down and listen to someone else's words and really step into those words, um, you can really grow empathy. And that's that's one of the reasons I love to write and I love to help people tell yeah. their stories. Oh, I love that. We're going to talk a little bit about what you do in a minute. But one of the things that keeps coming to my mind is I love this idea that you're you're sharing because, you know, if my 25-year-old self or 22-year-old self knew my 42-year-old self, I don't know that I, she would be really scared yeah. by my 42-year-old self of like, wait, what are you doing and who are you? And nope, that bumps too much against my world. I'm out. Yeah. And, you know, everything that we're sharing and even everything that this podcast does, we live in a world where we are so taught all these things outside of us, right? God's outside of us. Religion is, is a, hey, do this, do this, do this. Everything that you're sharing, you're experiencing was really outside of you. Well, I'm a giver, so I just give to everyone else. And meanwhile, the person that you were was just getting lost and lost and lost. When you talk about you and your wife both were wanting to be seen and heard, the, the truth in the matter, and even what I'm experiencing with my husband now, there are pieces that he was looking for me that I could never satisfy for him because he actually was looking for that for himself. Same thing with you, same thing with your wife. And that's what I think is fascinating that we really, I mean, this is such a deeper conversation and a longer conversation that, that gets to be happened one of these days. But at the end of the day, our society has been so focused on consumption Consumption, consumption, consumption from food to sex to money to relationships to greed to power. I mean, you look at how much of it and it is all external to try and satisfy something within. Mm -hmm. And for me, I feel like there is such a huge call on the planet and for all of us to, okay, it's time for that to stop. Like when you're seeing something in your external world that is just, and you're allowing for these things to happen, this is what I posted today with, when we stop the abuse of ourself first, because I was in an abusive relationship, I had to really get honest with myself of where am I abusing myself that I would even allow this, because this wouldn't be in a resonance, and I'm yeah. sure you have looked at that. This wouldn't be in a resonance for me to experience outside of myself if I wasn't doing that to myself first. Where am I not loving me enough where am I not feeling like I'm worthy enough or else these things wouldn't be coming in my world. And it is like this time for us to really start shifting into asking those really crucial questions within ourselves so that we can satisfy those pieces within us so that we're not continually 
attracting abusive relationships or attracting these things that we're constantly a victim to going, why on earth does this keep happening in my life? It's like, well, something's screaming for you to look at within you. And do you have enough courage to look at what that is? Because it's time for you to own your shit. We need a whole nother, we need to, we need to spend hours on that one. Um, You know, I, I think that often people, and this is another concept that I speak to a lot as well is very similar to what you're saying is, uh, we often feel like we're living in dissonance with ourselves and and not resonating. And a lot of people have this focus of, well, if we can just get balance in all the elements of our lives. And and for me, like, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to push against that, but I, for me, it's more about harmony, right? Mm -hmm. To me, balance is a state of standing still. If -hmm. you're in balance, you're standing still. The minute you go to take a step, you're not in balance, you're moving. Right. And for me, one of the things that I have people try and look at is, are your actions and your desires aligned? Right. And if they're not, then you're, then you're in dissonance and you're, and you're not mm-hmm. resonating with yourself. And that comes to relationships too. And, and religion and everything else is what you're doing, resonating with what you want to be. And one of, one of the things that I see in, in religion and in many, in many aspects of life, right? Uh, even in relationships is you'll find something that resonates with you and you'll find that in this person and you'll say, these things are great. So 20% is resonating really well. You know, 50% is like, yeah, I, that works for me. And then, the, then you've got this section of space and I'm not going to do the math right here because I'll 30. miss it. <laughs> we did 70, no, 70, 50, 20, 30. <laughs> but you've got this part that doesn't resonate with you at all. Right. And, you know, I found that in religion. And that that there were parts of it that really resonated with my soul, and there were other parts that I was like, okay, this feels okay, and then there were other parts that was like, this doesn't resonate at all. Yeah. Uh, and and you know, going to the the LDS religion when I was growing up, and you know, the issue with blacks and not having the mm-hmm. priesthood, I would see blacks in church, and I'm like, why would you choose this, right? Why would you choose something that made you a lesser right. human? And so there were always the parts that didn't resonate, and and I think that the the concern that that most people run into is that concern. I don't know if that's the right word, but we we often allow the parts that don't resonate with us to stay with us because we got into it because of the parts that do resonate right. with us. We almost ignore it, or we're yeah. like, ah, or it's like the I'm just going to put that on my shelf. Uh, well, a great a great comment in the religion is that'll all work itself out. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, or I don't understand that part yet, but I'm sure one day I will. <laughs> and you know, there is to the, what you mentioned earlier with, you know, we only have so many decisions that we can make during a day. There is some truth of that of like, okay, when I'm ready to look at that or when I'm ready, but then it isn't a place of openness, at least for where I'm at in my life right now. It's like, I don't know the answer to this right now, but I'm open to receiving whatever it is. And I know it'll come when I'm ready. Mm-hmm. And it, that's a little bit of a different mindset versus ignoring it. And I, I'm yeah. just not going to have the conversation around it because the truth is I know it's wrong. Yeah. You know? Yeah, ab- absolutely. I'm not, I'm not saying that you need answers for everything. In fact, I believe that the healthiest way to live is to be able to sit in a space of unknowing yeah. and um, not having answers to everything. And, mm-hmm. you know, when people come to me now and they're like, well, if you don't believe in religion, what's the meaning of life? And what's that? I don't know. Oh, I don't have an answer. Right? I have <laughs> I have such a deeper meaning for what life is, for spirituality, for what the divine looks like to me than I did when I was in with, with when I was in religion. And this is kind of what I was speaking to before. We 
our constructs of the world that have been built are so focused on how can we make this outside of someone else so that we can be the Mm -hmm. puppeteer. Frankly, that's what it is. That's the system that we bought into. And religion is one of those pieces. So if we can program you to actually do what we tell you to do, awesome. Yep. Hey, keep a, keep giving us your money, <laughs> and, and we and we can start to talk about linguistics in there too, like the, oh, yeah. the, the the way the language works. But you know, one of the reasons that for me that religion is prevalent is because uh, for civilizations and collaboration and community to thrive, you need to have a common underlying belief system, yeah. right? And uh, one of my favorite authors is Yuval Harari hmm. uh, and Sapiens and and 21 Lessons for the 21st Century and Homo Deus. And his, the whole series is fantastic. But, but really there's this, everything that we do is built on story mm-hmm. and all the stories are fiction, right? And, but it's what shared fictions do we have? We have a shared fiction that the U.S. dollar actually means something right and because yeah. of because of that shared fiction that we have we're able to build and, and thrive on it um, when you don't have those shared stories you don't survive and religion is one of those unifying stories that says hey not only is this something that we can share a belief but this belief is worth dying for so if if a group comes out of the woods to kill your little tribe in the cave instead of just scattering because you want to live for yourself. You stand and defend because yeah. it, it, you have this belief of both, you know, those that you're with and also this belief of something that is beyond, you know, mm-hmm. and a faith. So hmm. there's so many places we could go in this conversation. <laughs> I really am enjoying this, but let me fill into where this gets to go. I don't know. One of the pieces that keeps popping up is Plato's allegory of the cave, right? There's these people since birth or when they were young, they are chained up and they only see the wall of the cave and there's a fire behind them. So all they ever see are these shadows. And then one prisoner breaks free, goes out into the world and is so blinded by the light that can't even he can't even see really it takes him how long to be able to see and asking the people there what is this who what what is all of this it's like it's this cognitive distance is is happening and yet there's evidence of him right in front of him where he can touch it and see it and feel it and then finally realizes oh it's this this thing called the sun that is giving light. And so when he goes back into the cave, right, tries to tell the prisoners, hey, holy cow, come out, come out, come out. And they're freaked out. They won't, they won't believe in whatever he's presenting. So these, the stories, I think that it's fascinating that you bring that up because the narrative that gets to be created and who's creating it and what are you choosing to buy into is a fascinating question to ask yourself. And I'm saying yourself as far as not you, Chip, but all of us, right? To ask that question of what are we buying into? And when we have cognitive dissonance, maybe that's actually uh, an indicator to recognize that, okay, this is what I'm having, having. And can I be open to looking at it just a little bit deeper to see if there isn't truth underneath it? Because there has been a story I bought into and now I'm choosing not to buy into it anymore. So my world feels like it's shifting in such a way I don't even know what to do you know, when people leave religion, the waters afterwards, trying to navigate those waters are very challenging Mm -hmm. because their perception, their filters have now shifted and they're navigating in a world that is colored now very differently. And at first it's often gray. 
Because these things that I bought into that were light and I knew where I was going and somebody could, you know, I bought into it and I felt like it was spirituality and I felt like I had a testimony and I felt da 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 da. And now I'm choosing out of that and now that's dying. What are the the new stories that I am creating for myself or that I am buying into? And I think that that's a really fascinating thought to sit with of what are the stories that I'm buying into yeah. and are they my stories or are they someone else's? Yeah. And that, that like, I get chills here in that question. I think that's fantastic. Right. Um, and one of the, one of the fascinating things about life is that, uh, it's impossible to remember the exact way we felt before finding out something different, because as soon as our knowledge and information changes, we can't go back and be that person that we were or think that way. Yeah. Um, and, you know, memory, you know, the, the studies and things show that every time we access a memory, we change that memory. And one of the, one of the discouraging statistics is like our memories are at most 50% true. Right. Mm -hmm. And that happens in relationships. Like going back to my 25 years in that relationship, you know, I didn't stay in 25 years of just hell and awfulness, right? Mm -hmm. uh, there were many, many beautiful times in in that relationship, and you know things that made it worth it. Uh, you know, we often don't shift or change until the the pain of staying is worse than the pain right. of of shifting. And it, but it's it's easy now, and and I know on both sides, it's easy to look back and and be more focused on the things that yeah, see, it was obvious I should have left that like ten years ago, right? Well. Hindsight's you know, uh, hindsight's twenty twenty, but really, is it? It's only because that's the way we've shifted our memory to align, mm -hmm. uh, because we have this need to feel this consistency in ourselves and to believe that the choices that we're making have meaning and, mm -hmm. and movement. Uh, you know, one of the quotes that a lot of people say is that everything happens for a reason, right? And or successful people know that everything happens for a reason. And for me, that's a little bit. Um, I don't quite buy into that. Instead, I shift it just a little bit to say uh, successful people give reason to everything that happens. And if you can build on your experience and give it reason and purpose to help you move to a new space, that's powerful. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's taking the, again, that's going from the external, like you were talking about, to the internal. Mm -hmm. And it's taking that power into yourself instead of giving it to some external force or somebody externally that's pulling the strings you know, go to lunch with a coworker if it's about business and be the strong enough one to say that internally I have the power to make whatever choice I want yeah. to here. You know, it's, yeah. I don't need some external force saying, mm, I'm going to make you attracted to him because, mm -hmm. um, you know, take ownership of your decisions, take ownership of what you're doing. Yeah. Well, and that, that was something that we had talked about too, before we started recording was, um, the constructs of relationships in general, I do believe are asking to be shifted mm -hmm. and we can have, when I write about this, you flipped open my book. I was showing you some of my books and I end up writing about sacred sexuality and how oftentimes the connections that we're asking to have with another human being, it doesn't matter if they're male or female, there still can be a charge there with another person that actually could be just creative energy in general that you're feeling, but often we confuse it for sexuality or it gets to be this taboo, taboo experience of, well, shit, if I'm, if I do this and that's crossing a barrier or a, a boundary or a line. And really I feel like in relationships, 
to what you spoke to earlier, when you go into more of a conscious construct within a relationship of, hey, for me, I choose monogamy. This is something that I prefer to have in a relationship for a lot of different reasons because of my my belief system. And in that, however, I totally trust you. I trust myself and how I'm going to navigate. I trust you and how you're going to navigate. And if something down the road happens, then let's have a conversation about it. You know, other people, I have a really good friend who believes that to experience love in a deeper way, it gets to be through an open relationship. And then she has a construct with her husband and it works for them. And I think this is where we get to start being open to how relationships get to be um, recognizing that some people are going to have a pendulum swing. I mean, I've seen that. I don't know if you've seen that. Or oh, and myself, I've seen that very much. So, yeah. Like, hey, let's go explore all this. And and I do, you know, especially out of religion, you go from we're married for all time and eternity to you're divorced, I'm divorced, been divorced a few times, relationships end. We learn things from each relationship. And now what do I get to create in life of you know, I believe multiple, we have multiple lifetimes. So maybe we've had multiple lifetimes together. And will we know each other in the next lifetime or after this life? Absolutely. Whether we're married or not, whether mm-hmm. we have this paper, piece of paper or not, like we know that energy continues to move. It it doesn't ever die. And we are energy. Right. So that's one is, of my favorite quotes by Einstein, right? Is the, his quote on we're energy. So do you remember what the quote is? No, I, I would butcher it, but it's like, uh, you know, it, we are all energy and it's, it's not, um, religion. It's, uh, it's science. It's just science or physics or something like that. And so, yeah, you're going to have to pull up the real quote and like, just edit me out of this. I'm supposed to be the quote guy. And all I can remember <laughs> is that like, I put you on the spot. Actually, you put you on the spot. I, I did put myself on the spot. And, and for me, like, I often remember quotes, but I remember them as a feeling, right? Yeah. And so there are some, you know, and this is just different personalities. There are people that like, uh, you know, Brooke is one that is very, very good at remembering words. And in fact, she sees a lot of her life as words on a chalkboard, right? Oh. And for me, I remember feelings about words. Mm. And uh, it's beautiful when you can bring those together and see see from each other's different things. But are you trying to look at the I'm quote trying from to Einstein? find it, but I don't. It's not even a big deal. But it, I mean, Einstein has so quote. many amazing, amazing, amazing quotes. Um, one of the things that I want to touch on here is something that you and I had talked about before that um, was... There is a really interesting fine line where, yes, when we get to a point in our life where we own our shit, right? We own the pieces. You got the quote? I got the quote. Okay, let's hear it. Okay, it says, everything is energy and that's all there is to it. Match the frequency of the reality you want and you cannot help but get that reality. It can be no other way. This is not philosophy. This is physics. I love it. Why does this quote say, I, that's Einstein, right? I believe it's Einstein. The the inter- he told he's told me that on the internet, so it must be true. The inter the interweb says, <laughs> "Oh my goodness!" Um, anyway, didn't mean to cut you that. off. You no, bring that that's back. perfect. I know where I was at. There is this really interesting fine line, and it's something that I'm going through right now. When we go into personal development and self development, we get really good with claiming and owning our shit. We get really good with you know what I attracted that because of this, and. There is, I feel like, a subtle shift that's asking to be hap- happened where I recognize this with my kids. 
I protected their dad all day long until something happened and it was like, we're done. We're done. And now I get to actually start. And their dad is a good person. And right Mm -hmm. now we have a really good relationship and he's a much better person with his partner than he was with me. And I feel the same about my ex. I just want to make sure that that's clear here too. That was. And, And I got to a point to where, yes, I could continue protecting him or I could start teaching my kids, hey, this behavior is actually not normal. And this is the tools that I would invite you to start using and learning. And so their dad has been a really huge gift to them with how to recognize different behavioral patterns and how to navigate it. And at a very young age, they're learning these things that I had no idea about. And had I known about that, I probably wouldn't have attracted different aspects in my life. And even more recently, I've personally been going through some things of where am I allowing myself to continue to be walked on because I can see my part in it. Instead of owning my part. That's a difficult. (laughs) Yes. And you had spoken to this about your children because of the things that you allowed to happen. You don't have a really great relationship with a few of them now, Mm -hmm. which is heartbreaking for me to hear. And yeah, these are some of my best friends, right? You, you always, your kids are like some of your closest friends and it's, it is tough. Yeah. Because they, and I believe that they choose into us as their parents. They chose into what they were going to, you know, to some degree, what level of experiences we were all going to have together, even to what you're at now. And I feel like there is a call more to, hey, (laughs) yes, we can own the things that happened. It doesn't change what happened. And I can still acknowledge, hey, this was really shitty behavior of what you did and I'm not okay with it. And this is a boundary and actually will communicate that this is a boundary and, and communicate these pieces and take my ownership in my part in it, but also the ownership of what happened. Yeah. Cause what happened was real. And I feel like there, this is a very fine line that gets to be navigated. And this comes to the more and more we know ourselves and become more aligned with who we are. than we get to know when we get to open our mouths and say, hey, by the way, these things that you're being told are not true. And this is the truth of and, the and reality. That, and that and that's such a tough one because it is. you know, especially being in personal development, we one of the first things we teach is that your feelings matter and the way your your memory, your truth is important. Right. Uh, you know, I like to talk in terms of and I do this with a lot of words, but like big T and little T. So there are big T truths and little T truths. Yeah. And we all live in our own little T truths. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I don't even know what any big T truths are. I think that the more little T's that align, the bigger, the, <laughs> the bigger, the big T seems. Um, but you know, I, I don't know what big T truths would be when we all live our own realities. But <clears throat> when I have, you know, um, when we have beliefs, even if those beliefs are inaccurate, um, you know, approaching that in a way that people feel seen and heard is still critically important. Uh, you know, I look at my kids and they have their beliefs and I have my beliefs and me um, opposing their beliefs isn't going to draw us any closer together. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so all I can do is work on me and being the best version of myself that I can be. And one of the goals that I have set for myself is, you know, I've, I've done a lot of books in the background for other people, but I'm moving more into the space of sharing my own voice and my own words so that mm-hmm. as my children seek that out, they can, they can find me. Yeah. That's um, awesome. You know, but we, we all live in these spaces. Like I haven't, 
I haven't had any communication with my oldest for several years. And it's a space where, you know, I look at it and I, I see things that I did and I see things that I would do differently. And, and I can see places where I could have done it differently, but it's where we are. And, um, the more that we can live in a space where we can set goals and intentions that don't require time travel of changing the past, Mm -hmm. the more happy that, and more joy that we can find. Um, but I'll tell you like the, the grief of, uh, not having my son in my life is the, the, the closest I can liken it to is if I had a son go off to war and he didn't come home, but they never found his body. So it's a space of, do you grieve that loss? Do you, do you bury that relationship or do you continue to hold out hope that it mm-hmm. might someday come back? And I, and I'm in no way trying to imply that, uh, it's the same as losing a son to death. Um, but there I think are, that's a good analogy because for parents that are in that situation, it is, what do you do? Yeah. And, um, for me, I, I don't even know if my son is married. Uh, my ex won't tell me anything about his life. Um, I could be a grandfather. I don't know. I just don't, don't know any of those things, right? Um, but being able to settle in and be at peace with what is. Yeah. And, you know, I, I love how um, Brendan Burchard uses the phrase, strive satisfied. And I've always loved that phrase because that, that shows the ability to, to be okay with what is, mm-hmm. but to still have hope and dreams and desire to, to create something different rather than just so it's that space between just floating with the world or you know we we talk about on the one end you're like wanting to make everything happen your way and on the other end you're like i'm at (laughs) peace with everything that is and (laughs) and i don't feel comfortable in either of those spaces right well i think that we're we never i think we never will because the truth is the reality is, is if we ever get to i used to always think i would especially after leaving religion that I would go to my mountaintop, I would be evolved, and I would like I would figure out life secrets, and I would sit on the mountaintop, and I'd be peaceful. And for me, what I found it actually, I climbed that mountaintop, and then they're like, "Oh shit, there's another mountaintop," and it's been a much harder journey in a lot of ways because this is that personal development piece, right? That has come since me leaving religion. But I believe like water, you know, when water goes stagnant and has no flow, it's gross water. You don't Mm -hmm. want to drink out of that. You don't want to touch that. You don't even want to be near it because the nastiness that's coming off of that. We are always meant to be evolving and growing. So I don't, you know, we can have satisfaction with where we're at in our lives, but then something will come in that will be like, oh, well, let's go look at this or let's go. Why don't we go try and create this thing? Because when life gets to, we get to have curiosity and play in life and then we get to have more, more fun. And at the end of the day, I do believe that it would be nice if we can start all shifting into this, what gets to be created, Yeah, you know? And, and I think it was Buddha that a friend of mine was telling me about how Buddha, there's a philosophy that when we can look at everything as curiosity, then there is a lot more lightness and more fun of, oh, this is interesting that this is happening. That's, you know, how can I be curious about this and how can I ask the question so that it's not so, holy shit, 
Why is this happening to me? Yeah. What did I do wrong? What? How is God punishing me right, today? Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know? What? What did I do to deserve this? Yeah. Um, Which we all do. We we all do to a certain extent, I, and I think that the more that we can move into a space of realizing, like it's a it's a very childlike belief, and, yes. and children believe that everything that's happening around them is because of them, right? Even, yeah. you know, children, young children that go through divorce see the divorces as their fault often, yeah. right? Um, I had um, my my youngest who, I think he was nine or 10 at the time, like, so this was, well, maybe he was 11, but this was, uh, you know, two or three years ago, he came in and he sat on the bed and he said, dad, everything changes, mm-hmm. nothing stays. And I said, yeah, yeah, that's true. And he's like, so what's the point? Oh. He's like, he's like, what's the point if nothing lasts? And we happened to be, um, we happened to have a box of Oreos or a container of Oreos on the bed. And, and, um, you know, I just, in, in a kind of a moment of wisdom, like I gave him one of the Oreos and I said, do you want this? And he said, yeah. And, and I said, well, once you eat it, it's gone. And he's like, that's true. And I said, but did you enjoy it while you were eating it? And he said, I did. And I said, well, that's, that's the point. Mm -hmm. So, um, did you enjoy eating the Oreo? And, um, we still to that, this day use that analogy. He'll be like, he's like, I enjoyed that Oreo while it lasted. So, oh, I love that analogy. That's a beautiful, and what a beautiful teaching point with your son to have. Oh, so our time is, we probably should probably start over. wrapping up. I know. And I've loved having Here's this part two. We could, we could record a few episodes together, but tell me a little bit about what, or tell our listeners a little bit about what you do, because I think it's quite fascinating. Yeah. Okay. So I, um, I love to help people tell their stories and, uh, the company that I have is book Jedi and I do retreats. Uh, to help people tell their stories, I work with a lot of uh, celebrities and and professional athletes and executives uh, to help them write their stories. But even more than putting stories into books, uh, to me, what I love to do is to help people see the stories in their lives and recreate the stories in their lives to be able to build a life by design. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe that that we have the power within us to live whatever life we want to live. And uh, our lives are defined by the stories that we tell ourselves and by the stories that we tell others. Yeah. And uh, helping helping people find the story of themselves that resonates with themselves is what I'm all about. Uh, I'm a big believer that, you know, we're all in sales. We're mm. always constantly selling. And the sooner you can realize you're in sales, the sooner you can shift your life to be the life that you want it to be. <laughs> true, true. But you also, and you also offer retreats. You, yeah, I do uh, retreats. We call them Book Jedi Masterminds. Uh, we go to unique locations where, again, curiosity, creativity, all those things help people get into flow, help them get into those mindsets. So, uh, I, I work a lot with, uh, you know, one of one of my good friends is Stephen Kotler, uh, and I've helped him some on on some of his recent books uh, around flow and and mm-hmm. peak performance and. Uh, we really take those concepts into writing as well. Um, you know, when, when you are in a state of creativity and curiosity and things, those, those energies can flow. And when, when we take you and put you in 
spaces. Like, well, we went to Costa Rica and we would sit there and we would say, okay, what is the challenge that you're working on? What is the story that you're telling? Okay. Now, th- now hold that in your mind and we're going to go whitewater rafting mm. and, uh, or we're going to go out and we're going to teach everybody to do surfing and, and, um, go to, whoops, sorry. You're fine. I, I put this on. Huh. Anyway, I put it on. I put it on. Do not disturb. What, the, what does do not disturb mean? I had to create a personal <laughs> mode on my phone that's like nobody can call through because even on do not disturb, people who are on your favorites or can will still come through. Yep. So anyway, anyway so you'd go whitewater rafting, uh, and then we come back, and then we sit down. And we say, okay, what came to you? Because our our brains are designed to connect dots. Yeah. And often, why we say hindsight is twenty twenty is because our brains can connect the dots mm-hmm. of our lives and create this illusion of consistency. And, and we are the yeah. same as who we were. But as you mentioned, you know, your 20 year old self would be like, who is this? <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And we continually, like, I believe in multiple lifetimes as well, mm-hmm. but I also believe that within this lifetime, we've all lived multiple lifetimes. Oh, 100%. You, could, you could write a story <laughs> about different parts in your life where you're like, I don't even know yeah. who that person is anymore. But I know that was, yeah. that was me at the time. You know, I, I had Lyme disease mm. uh, when I was 20 and it, it almost killed me. Like they, they sent me home from New York with mm. the intention of me dying with my family. Wow. And, you know, I look back and then I'm like, I don't even like, that's hard who to even, that? it's hard to even put that person into who I am. And, you know, even, even being married for 25 or 20 plus years with, in a relationship for 25, my, 13 year old who was the same one that asked about the Oreos, he'll be like, okay, tell me some of your favorite memories from this time. And I'll be like, wow, I would have to sit down and pull those up because right. (laughs) right? it's not because they weren't meaningful, but it's a different life now and it's a different space. And, um, you know, Brooke, uh, always uses this uh, phrase of beauty and destruction. Mm-hmm. And what that means is that life is constantly changing and uh, we're always going to be losing things when we're gaining things. And that, that can be hard. I, I actually hate the phrase, so, <laughs> but, but, I uh, but, I, but, perfect. but the more I can lean into it, the better, the better it is. But anyway, I love that. Um, I, I don't, I don't remember where I was rambling on that one. <laughs> Just with how our minds do, they can put together the pieces. Oh yeah. 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 So we, and so, so these, these, these experiences are meant to help you pull together the pieces of your life that create, uh, the story that, that helps you, that serves you. And mm-hmm. one of my favorite questions is, is this belief serving you? Mm-hmm. So is it true? Is it really true? And is it serving you? Yeah. And, you know, uh, you know, I, I talk about Brooke a lot, but she is, she is fantastic at this. She has taken some incredibly difficult challenges through her life and turned them to a space of helping others. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've, I've done this with my marriage as well. I've been able to help other people moving out of relationships mm-hmm. much better navigate their relationship, not because I'm so good at it, but because I can, I have tools now that I didn't have right. and I can see things that I did that, that broke. Uh, for me, I think one of the, the biggest things we do is as parents and as friends, uh, is we often try and tell people, um, the way we did something that worked so that they can do it the same way when what we really should be doing is showing them tools that they can use to mm-hmm. figure out the way that works for them. Mm-hmm. And for me as a parent, uh, I really try and give that to my kids of, I don't want to determine the life 
they want to live. Right. I want them to be able to determine the life they want to live. And what I want to do is be able to provide tools that help them get there mm-hmm. more easily. So when you talk about refiners fires, <laughs> that's one of my favorite concepts, right? Mm-hmm. The coolest people, you know, are the people that have been through some of the toughest crap, right? Yeah. But I don't want to have to go through tough crap to be cool. <laughs> so, and so can I narrow, have. can I, I have, right. Yeah. But can I, can I, is there a way that we can narrow the time that you have to spend in that? 100% and I, there is. I, I love the analogy of the one I share with people. And I agree with you. I, the analogy I share with people is you can go to the gym every day and you can just work out and you'll eventually get into shape. Right. Mm-hmm. But if you have a trainer and you have someone that can say, this is the way that you can work through yeah. this, then you can get to the space you want to be in much quicker. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I believe that that can happen with trauma and everything else. Um, you know, I'm, I'm helping a, uh, a friend. We're writing a book together. And one of the topics that we were talking about the other day was trauma. And, um, you know, this is a really difficult space to be in. So I don't know that we can get into it here. But, but in essence, you know, everything that we are living now, um, you know, if, if you're still feeling in trauma about something that happened that 20 years ago, that, that is, the trauma is not happening to you right now. It happened then. And, uh, I'm not downplaying trauma at all. Trauma is very real and we feel it and our feelings are real. Um, but there, I do believe there are ways that we can approach it differently Mm -hmm. than we have traditionally Mm -hmm. and different ways that we can look at it and take back our power. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's a huge thing that, that is, um, worth its whole entire episode on its own. I, (laughs) I agree. And I think to what you're speaking to is oftentimes, um, when, when we don't have the tools, then we are just going through the emotions. And a lot of time the unconscious mind is running the show and the yeah. unconscious mind has all the programs that were created from the abuse, from the trauma through. And they were often created when we were like five years old. Well, it is from zero to what? Nine <laughs> yeah, is when, yeah. you know, and I, I, because I'm an NLP practitioner, I love the mind and it is fascinating. And, and, um, yes, this is a whole other podcast. And one thing that keeps popping up that I would like to, make sure that I offer here because I know a lot of people are in relationship stuff and we talked about relationships here when our hearts and our heads are not aligned, which often they are not, (laughs) it feels very chaotic and very confusing, especially in relationships. But one thing that I, um, as, as when you go through different relationships, one of the things that I I'll ask my clients and I'll, I forgot about this question and it just came back up. I'm like, do you feel like you're done? So if anybody is in a relationship right now where they're feeling really confused because there's a lot of relationships that are ending, I would invite you to ask the question, do you feel like this re- you are done with this relationship? Because usually you will, right now in the minute that I asked that question, you just answered it, yes or no. And whatever that answer was is your answer. Instead of getting into the head, it's your heart that's responding you either know if you're finished with this relationship, if it feels complete or if not. And if it was a no, then you get to go navigate what the next chapter looks like. And if it's a yes, you get to navigate that part. But often it does come down to that simple question. Does this relationship feel complete? Is it done? And in my experience, we all know that the answer to that question. We just get into our heads as far mm-hmm. as all the other little things and the how am I going to and how is this? Whatever it is. But when you can get really simple and um, 
when we leave religion, trusting our intuition is tricky. And one of the easiest indicators, best indicators that I like to offer is your intuition is calm. It's usually quiet, but it's calm. Your mind chatter, the, all the other things is chaotic. It's whirlwindy. And that is not your intuition. That is not that God self that's communicating with you. It is the calmness where the answers lie. I love that. I, I think for me, transitioning out of religion, one of the most difficult pieces was the idea of letting go of someone else already seeing what was going to happen and having an answer for me yeah. if I just listened. <laughs> Right. Or this idea of the Holy Ghost, because we yeah. actually are taught and conditioned, and I write about it in my book, but we're taught and conditioned that, and we don't realize this, that the Holy Ghost is actually our intuition. The mm -hmm. Holy Ghost is the one whispering and giving me promptings. And actually, no, that was you. You just were taught that this was the Holy Ghost that you, you could were taught only it was have, external. Yep. that you could only have through baptism. And if you did anything that was bad, like swearing, or, you know, then that Holy Ghost would go out of the room. He said, but. I, oh my gosh, now the Holy Ghost is leaving. I need to start singing a church hymn. Bring it in, bring it in. And it's like, no, this is again, just part of that conditioning and that programming that, no, this has been with you the entire time. Anyway, again, going off on a little tangent. Holy crap. Um, if people wanted to find you, Chip, how, how would they find you? Yeah, the best way to find me is, uh, you know, you can go to bookjedi.com or chiphopper.com. Um, and I'm also on a number of social media platforms as Chip Hopper. So. Awesome. I will make sure I put it in the show notes. Um, as we are wrapping this container up, is there anything else you would like to offer to the space to those that are listening? Well, I just want to say, Amanda, you are amazing. And, so um, our circles have floated very close for many, many years, and it's crazy that we haven't yeah. sat down more. But uh, I absolutely intend to um, have you know more interaction with you because uh, uh, you already feel like a best friend, and I love your insights, and uh, I'm excited about everything you're doing. Well, thank you, and feeling is mutual, so it'll be fun to continue conversations outside of this. I'm looking forward to that. Well, thank you. Anything else? Uh, no, just, um, love yourselves, be kind, yeah. be kind to, uh, be kind to what you've been through, be kind to what you're going through, um, yeah. kindness and, and love and acceptance are, uh, yeah, that's just, yeah. you know, we, we all have stuff behind the curtain, everybody, like I haven't worked, ever worked with a client that, uh, it hasn't been just a list of, mm-hmm you know, things that they could have done differently, might've wanted to do differently. Uh, but, but accept, you know, that where you are, like, uh, I, I love when people ask the question of what would you go back and tell your 20 year old self? And I say, I wouldn't tell them anything because if I did, I wouldn't be who I am today. Yeah. And, uh, you are who you are because of everything that's happened to you, the good and the bad. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't take away, a lot of the trauma that Brooke has been through because it's made her who she is. Mm -hmm. And that person is beautiful mm -hmm. and uh, you are beautiful and you listener like Amanda's also beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> we all knew who you were talking to. So anyway, that's it. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks for taking the time to two hours later. Yeah. <laughs> Cause we were chatting so much. I appreciate you. So well, thank you. That was a beautiful conversation that I got to have with Chip and the questions and the dynamics that were brought up 
that really, I, my hope is that there are pieces within this that have really created some questions and some inquiry for you to sit with. So like Chip mentioned, or like I mentioned, Chip shared his ways that you can get in touch with him, that you can follow him, and I will share his information down below. But make sure and grab my book, leave me a review. You know, I I love the support. I love it when people message and say, you know, how these podcast interviews have assisted you. It really means a lot. I don't make money off this podcast. That's why I pitch some of the other things that I do uh, that where I do make money. But I just appreciate you guys. And I appreciate the opportunity to do this, to spend this time with you, with the guests that I have, and to be sharing our voices. And this just really assists us all in knowing that we're not alone. And I know I say that all the time because it is really important. And we get to be seen and heard. So wherever you are today, know that you are not alone. And that I see you, I hear you, and I am sending you all so much love.